Hello, welcome to this fourth conversation in the Radical Exchange Replayed series. This is a talk given by Ethereum creator and Radical Exchange Foundation board member Vitalik Buterin about his work in using quadratic funding in the Ethereum community. It's followed by a conversation with the very talented Pia Mancini, so be sure to listen to the entire thing. You can get involved with this work in applying quadratic funding to new sorts of public goods problems by participating in the hackathon that Radical Exchange Foundation is running in cooperation with Gitcoin starting in early October. So please reach out to me at matt at radicalexchange.org if you're interested in being involved either as a hacker or a sponsor. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Hello, everyone. If you are just joining us, welcome to the Radical Exchange Annual Conference. Our next session will be quadratic funding in Ethereum. I'd like to welcome Pia Mancini to the virtual stage to begin our session. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's my pleasure today to introduce Vitaly to chat about quadratic funding in the Ethereum community. Funding and sustaining our commons has been a traditionally difficult problem to solve, and it might be even harder when you try to do it coordinating a decentralized community. So here to talk about that, my pleasure to introduce Vitalik. Thank you, and, and great to be at this uh, wonderful event, um, event uh, in uh, virtual form. I'm always happy to talk about many things, and uh, you know, quadratic funding in particular has definitely been one of my uh, kind of big interests uh, for uh, the last couple of years. So. I guess, uh, so just to start off, uh, I w wanted to give a quick uh, kind of recap of what quadratic funding is. Uh, so quadratic funding is uh, this uh, mechanism that was uh, introduced by myself and uh, Glenn in uh, the paper on liberal radicalism a couple of years ago. And the purpose of the mechanism is basically to uh, kind of allocate funding toward kind of public goods, right? Public goods just basically meaning any kind of project that's valuable to a large groups of people where like if you create the thing you can't control who gets to use it and who doesn't uh, so things like for example the environment scientific research any kind of book article kind of work of media uh, in many cases is a public good and public goods all always uh, kind of suffer from this problem that they are underfunded basically because the fact that you can't control uh, kind of who has access to something and who can't means that there's no kind of personal benefit to someone from actually contributing money to a public good, except for if they decide to donate, then uh, there's only this fairly tiny incentive because if you donate money to some public project, you're kind of only slightly increasing uh, the probability that that project actually will be funded or slightly increasing the quality of that project. And so there is this kind of tragedy of the commons effect where any single person's contributions to a public good uh, kind of only will benefit themselves along with a whole bunch of other people. But if people only take into account the benefits of themselves, then everyone ends up contributing kind of much less than they actually would. Right. And so quadratic finding is about basically kind of compensating for this uh, tragedy of the commons effect by uh, kind of automatically allocating a, a pool of subsidies based on how much people contribute, right? So quadratic funding is interesting because it's uh, completely neutral in a certain sense. Uh, so a lot, of, a, a lot of people have heard of quadratic voting, but one of the challenges with quadratic voting is that while 
you know, you have this kind of decentralized voting procedure on any particular issue, there is still this question of, well, who gets to figure out what's on the ballot in the first place, right? And quadratic funding actually makes uh, even the question of what's on the ballot uh, sort of emergence and part of the mechanism in some sense. Uh, so the way that this works is basically anyone can spin up a project, anyone can contribute money to projects, and you have this kind of subsidy pool, and the, the source of the subsidy pool isn't you know, specified by the mechanism. It could be a philanthropist, it could be kind of some kind of company that's overseeing some ecosystem, it could be a government, uh, it could be a lot of different things. And basically, the way that the subsidy pool is used is according to this formula where you take uh, kind of everyone's uh, individual contributions, you take the square root of those con each of those contributions, you, you can calculate the sum of the square roots, and then you calculate the square of the sum of the square roots. So in my little diagram on the slide here, the green squares are the contributions, the length of the squares are the square roots, and then kind of the contributions themselves are the diagonals. But then if you take the square of the sum of the square roots, uh, that kind of gets expanded to this big yellow square where the yellow parts are this kind of extra subsidy money. And basically, from the subsidy pool, you add these extra amounts, and any project that gets funded by more than one person will get subsidized to some extent, and projects that have more contributions from more people will get uh, kind of disproportionately more subsidies. Uh, so in the liberal radicalism paper, there's a bunch of mathematical logic for why this is optimal. And I also wrote a blog post on quadratic payments that's on vitalica.ca, where you can find another simplified mathematical explanation for why this works. But the purpose of my talk today is basically that you know, quadratic funding is not just theoretical math anymore. Quadratic funding is something that we actually have implemented and try to make work in practice. So just to introduce the status quo before Gitcoin grants, right? So Ethereum is the world's second largest public blockchain and cryptocurrency ecosystem. And the Ethereum community, like all blockchain communities, has many underprovided public goods, right? So online communities especially really suffer from this public goods problem because Basically, everything is happening online. And so the tools that people need to use, the information that people need to understand things better, pretty much everything that people need within the context of the Ethereum ecosystem, basically, except for you know Ether and the other tokens themselves, in many cases, is a public good, right? Basically, on offline, you, know, you have a lot of public goods, but you also have a lot of private goods. But because you have physical objects, the physical objects can only be held by one person at a time, and so you can buy and sell and trade them. But online ecosystems, public goods become this big and even bigger concern. The status quo is that the uh, Ethereum Foundation is the main uh, fund allocator, and it has about a $30 million a year budget. It uses this to support a lot of research into things like cryptography, uh, development of code, a kind of Ethereum client software, certain kinds of applications, uh, just a lot of different things that are valuable to the ecosystem. In addition to the Ethereum Foundation, there are wealthy ICO projects that launched on top of Ethereum and now have some of their own money that they use to allocate funds. Uh, whales, which is a, kind of a term that just means wealthy holders of Ether companies in the Ethereum ecosystem like Consensus. 
And the challenge basically is, well, can we make the funding sources more diverse and democratic, right? And the theory of the ecosystem is one where, you know, people are already really into decentralization. People are interested in these ideas of can we cooperate without centralized actors deciding everything. And so these ideas of quadratic funding and the radical exchange ideas really appeal very naturally to the Ethereum ecosystem. So we decided to try to do it. Uh, right? So uh, Gitcoin, even from before Gitcoin grants, it started off by uh, doing bounties for basically small code development tasks in the Ethereum ecosystem, but they then decided to try to expand by doing this pilot where they created this platform that's called Gitcoin Grants now that tries to do a quadratic funding for Ethereum projects, right? So basically anyone can register, anyone can create a project. So here I have the top 10 winners for, I think it was the third round, the first round where things ended up started being actually interesting. So anyone can set up a project, anyone can uh, contribute to a project, and this uh, kind of quadratic funding subsidy formula is used to uh, kind of calculate basically how much donations get matched, right? So you see here number one and number two, ETH Hub got about $4,700 in contributions, and Austin Griffith got about $8,600, but the matching, ETH Hub got $16,000, and Austin got about $15,000, right? Which basically shows that the amount of donations that ETH Hub and Austin got are about the same, or or rather Austin is uh, considerably bigger, but ETH Hub got contributions from a wider and more uh, diverse group of people. And the quadratic funding formula, kind of, it doesn't just count dollars, it also counts people. And so it ended up matching that more. So, so far, we've had six rounds of this quadratic funding procedure. So in every round, basically, the start of the round gets announced. Everyone sets up projects and people can contribute over a period of two weeks. Everyone advertises their projects, everyone contributes, and at the end of the two weeks, the round closes and the subsidies are calculated based on this formula, right? So Gitcoin Grants has had over $500,000 of matching funds and something like over a million dollars in uh, contributions elicited from the community, thousands of people participating, and it's been uh, steadily doing this for over a year. So it started last year, and I'm not even going to talk about round one and round two because they were fairly small. There were not that many people participating. The results weren't uh, kind of particularly good. But round one and round two did start introducing people to the mechanism. They and did kind of start giving people more of an idea of like, hey, what's actually going on here? And round three is this first round that we had that actually had a very significant size, right? So. Uh, in round three, the uh, subsidy pot, I think it was $100,000. And the contributions, um, as we've seen, were it got something like tens of thousands of dollars of contributions. And so you actually start seeing a lot of these really different and interesting projects applying for uh, contributions. Right. So what did we learn for round three? So first of all, we were in this boring but good result, which is that, at least in my opinion, the outcomes were broadly and very reasonable, right? So uh, people chose projects, so like Ethereum client developer teams is one example. So you see a Prismatic and Lighthouse, uh, number three and five, 
Ethereum scaling solutions, Deep Plasma Group at number 10, developer tools, programming languages, projects that try to publish useful information about Ethereum, Austin Griffith, Ethereum developer that makes a whole bunch of uh, smaller things. So people chose projects that seem to be good and important to the Ethereum ecosystem. Not a lot of wasteful projects. People funded many projects that we did not even realize were important. Developer tools, tools that make it easier to uh, interact with specific kinds of applications. Even like Austin Griffith, for example, is someone who's been doing a lot of good work that got recognized well by the community, but up until that point probably wasn't supported uh, too much uh, by the foundation. And and I think even like for myself personally, I did not even know Austin that well uh, at this time. I only kind of heard the name in passing. And the quadratic funding round basically did uh, call to our attention uh, kind of the fact that Austin existed. Austin was doing all of this great work for Ethereum and that this is you know, someone that we should be paying more attention to. And so quadratic funding, not only did it fund the boring and obvious stuff, it also actually funded the uh, things that were not too obvious to us, but you know, in, in retrospect, made a lot of sense. And also the process did help people basically feel more engaged in the community, right? So uh, the process, just by giving people the ability to uh, contribute to projects, uh, have their contributions be matched, it got people thinking about you know, what projects in the community are people doing that are valuable and that have been uh, underfunded and uh, undersupported by us. And it created this... Uh, community dynamic engagements that uh, democratic decision-making is uh, supposed to be about. So after round three, we have uh, round four. In round four, we decided to do this experiment where we split the round into two categories, where one round is technology projects and the other round is media projects. And we renamed media to community now because the word media didn't uh, give quite the emphasis that we wanted to give. But basically, tech is pretty obvious. It's tech, research, software, anything like that. And media is projects that try to inform people about Ethereum and provide information of different kinds, uh, newsletters, uh, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, a, a whole bunch of different things. So we wanted to just run quadratic funding rounds for these two categories separately and especially create a signal that you know, Gitcoin grants isn't just for tech and that these uh, also very valuable media projects and it will create an entire section for them and uh, see, you know, see what happens inside of that section. So what did we learn in round four? So round four is uh, probably the first round where things got kind of a really interesting in a spicy way. Uh, so on the tech side, and it was uh, kind of pretty boring in a good way, right? On the tech side, we just saw continued contributions to these uncontroversially valuable projects. But on the media side, really interesting things started to happen, right? So uh, basically, one of the top recipients on the media side, you can see number two, um, Antipro Synthesis, received uh, $11,000 in quadratic funding matching. And what this account is, is it's literally just someone who said, hey, I'm a Twitter account. I've been tweeting Ethereum things for a couple of years. Uh, donate money to support my tweeting. And at the time, no one realized that, like, hey, you know, you can earn $10,000 just for tweeting. And this person did, right? And a lot of people in the community made these independent decisions to 
support this person's tweets. And they found his social media activity in a very important and valuable in terms of getting the Ethereum message out there in the particular way that he does. But at the same time, other people were upset at this, right? You know, there are a lot of other people that were saying things like, you know, oh, this team worked really hard and made put a lot of uh, serious effort into making a newsletter or making a some project that involves like really complicated cryptographic code involving zero-knowledge proofs or something, something else. And here, someone raised even more money than they did by tweeting. So basically, and here you can see on the right some examples of this Twitter influencer. Some just information about Ethereum, some things of the form, they're kind of just, Ethereum is great, rah, rah, rah. So a lot of uh, kind of fairly mixed content, right? So a lot of people in favor of him, uh, a lot of people also opposed to him getting uh, such a large share of the media pool. So there were two uh, ma major criticisms here, right? So one of them is just that basically, does someone really deserve $10,000 for just tweeting? One response to this is that if you see the sheer volume of uh, the tweets that he made, and he clearly spent a lot of time on the tweets and work hard, has been doing it for years, and... A lot of people did actually uh, interpret the quadratic funding rounds as not just being uh, rewards for work done in the last uh, two months uh, since the previous rounds, but also as compensation for years of uh, work that has been uncompensated for, since at least uh, 2018. And the second response is just as kind of the free market argument, right? Well, hey, you know, a bunch of people found the tweets valuable enough uh, that they actually donated money themselves. Uh, so, you know, who are you to say that all these people are wrong when you didn't put your money where your mouth is yourself? And criticism two um, is interesting, right? So the criticism two is that these tweets might help in some ways, but they also might hurt in other ways, right? So if you kind of zoom in and look at the, some of these, uh, some of them say things like, Ethereum is unstoppable, or so yes, Bitcoin was a massive breakthrough, but we can only hope that it won't be the endpoint. And so there are people that criticize some of the things that uh, this accounts as being fairly aggressive in certain respects. And so basically, there was this concern, you know, are there negative uh, externalities that are here? And uh, quadratic funding by itself doesn't take into account negative externalities, right? Quadratic funding is all about taking into account positive externalities. And... In my blog post, originally talking about this round, I uh, compared this to a very common theory of why markets are inefficient, which is basically that markets are especially inefficient when shorting is hard, right? So when you have uh, an ability to express a positive opinion on a stock, but not a negative opinion on a stock, then the price of a stock does not end up reflecting the average of opinion of the stock price. It ends up reflecting the most optimistic opinions of the future stock price and the, and the uh, future performance of that stock. And so the question is, well, might the same thing be happening here? So some people accuse this account of like basically creating these negative externalities. Other people thought that the account was great. And there's other people who probably thought that maybe that account deserved, you know, $4,000, but not $10,000. And so to solve both those concerns and that, you know, are there negative externalities that are being not taken into account? And how do we let people express the idea that a project has too much funding? And Antiprosynthesis wasn't the only account that 
in uh, round four that uh, led to these kinds of issues, but it was one of the more obvious ones that stood out to a lot of people. And so we attempt to counteract this with a negative contribution mechanic, right? So in uh, quadratic funding, you know, you basically take the square root of uh, everyone's contributions, you add up these square roots. And if you remember uh, learning math, you'll remember that every number actually has two square roots. It has a positive square root and a negative square root. So the question is, well, what happens if you let people choose to have their contribution represent a negative uh, square root instead of the positive square root, right? So basically, if, if you take the analogy between quadratic fighting and quadratic voting, instead of just being able to vote for a project, you can now also vote against the project. And so we attempt to introduce this mechanic where you can make a contribution, have it count negatively, and see what happens. What does happen, we'll see, and I'll get to this a bit after. One third really interesting thing that we discovered in round four, right, is that the quadratic funding round is kind of called an Ethereum quadratic funding round, that it's theoretically a quadratic funding round for the Ethereum ecosystem, but nothing in the quadratic funding rules actually privileges Ethereum projects over other projects, right? And even in the original quadratic funding paper, it was described as formal rules for a society neutral among communities, right? The quadratic funding rules really are neutral. Anyone can spin up a project, anyone can donate, all of the donation projects that get multiple donations get subsidized. And so what happens when a project outside of the Ethereum ecosystem starts participating? And here we actually saw someone basically saying, hey, I'm a Twitter influencer too, except I'm a Twitter influencer for Ethereum Classic. Um, and Ethereum Classic is this kind of, sometimes you consider this kind of little brother to Ethereum. It's uh, this uh, blockchain that sort of forked off from the main Ethereum chain when the DAO fork, uh, this kind of controversial event in Ethereum history happened about four years ago. Uh, so uh, Yasinator here is a, he is someone who loves Ethereum Classic and is a Twitter influencer for Ethereum Classic. And he started accepting contributions. In this case, uh, he only got, like, I think it was six contributions, but he still got $38 uh, of matching funding from a matching pool that was theoretically intended to be an Ethereum matching pool. And so the question that this raises is basically, you know, do we need centralized filtering to basically determine what is an Ethereum project and what isn't? Might this be another use case of uh, negative contributions where if this is supposed to be for the Ethereum community, then as long as the quadratic funding is mostly done by the Ethereum community, then could the Ethereum community basically just provide negative votes against uh, any project uh, that it considers to be sort of off-topic? Uh, would you want centralized moderation of some kind? Uh, would you want some other kind of DAO, some other distributed process for determining what is a real Ethereum project? Whatever this procedure is, could that procedure be abused? So uh, I don't, we don't really have good answers for this yet. And I think so far, there's definitely been some centralized curation going on, especially in terms of figuring out what goes in the media section, what goes in the tech section. So do we have claim to have solutions better than uh, centralized curation? Uh, probably not yet. Uh, but no, this is one of those uh, challenges on the frontier of the mechanism, right? Like this kind of mismatch between the universality of quadratic funding in theory versus the fact that the existing funding sources for matching funds do want to support specific communities. So now we have round five. Uh, so round five kept the tech and media format, 
round five did introduce uh, negative contributions, but we saw a negative result, right? So uh, negative contributions ended up being used very little. So there's maybe like about 10 of them versus like thousands of positive contributions or something like that. And the few times it did, people were very upset, right? So one piece of uh, feedback that we got, just kind of summarizing a lot of people's opinions into one sentence is like, being downvoted makes me feel terrible. Gitcoin grants is supposed to be about a spirit of positivity, uh, giving people the ability to basically rip money out of each other's pockets, uh, kind of really uh, kind of ruins that mechanic. And so it ended up not being very effective, right? So what do we learn from this, right? So one takeaway might be like, well, don't do this, ne this uh, negative contribution thing. But the reality is that there is still an unsolved problem here, right? So the problem is that, you know, theoretically, there are projects that have negative externalities and there are projects that are really overrated by a small community. And there's no good way of dealing with this, right? So in this particular case, it seems like there weren't actually that many people that were uh, kind of upset with um, anti-prosynthesis enough to uh, try to take money away from him. So, you know, I guess, uh, you know, he can rest easy and, uh, knowing that he is not, in fact, uh, widely uh, condemned by the Ethereum community as a bearer of, of negative externalities and that people are mostly appreciative of his work. Or you could uh, conclude that people are just very wary of giving negative uh, kind of contributions in general. And there's also the question of, well, maybe negative contributions should exist, but they shouldn't uh, kind of be visible. Um, so you shouldn't be able to see that you got a negative contributions, then you should just see the total at the end. But regardless of which path you end up taking, like there, I, I do think that quadratic funding is going to have to have some kind of mechanism for dealing with projects that have negative effects, right? And you know like what kinds of trolls exist on the internet and people who believe and promote all sorts of positions that people providing a quadratic funding would really not want to promote. And dealing with uh, those kinds of projects that have these kinds of mixed positive and negative effects is something that quadratic funding at present uh, isn't really doing a good job of. And so, you know, we have to keep iterating on this and figure out something better. Stability of income concern in round five. Uh, so project revenue often kind of goes up and down by a factor of two or four or more between rounds. And if we want quadratic funding to be a mechanism that actually funds people's livelihoods, then you know we need contributions to be more stable. And in round six, we did some innovations to try to address that. In round five, we also started to see some collusion and some fake accounts uh, to try to basically send a bunch of contributions from different fake accounts to try to kind of fraudulently get more matching funding. So in round six, so we focused on both of those problems. We added a add to cart interface, make it easy to make a lot of uh, contributions. We added a functionality that just says, repeat the contributions you made in the last round. Uh, we added a mechanism where one third of the contributions in the last round automatically become calculated as part of the matching pool. And we added optional phone number verification for higher matching to as uh, a kind of stronger anti-civil mechanism than the thing that we had before, which was GitHub accounts. Uh, so we added those things. And unfortunately, round six is still in progress. But, you know, general conclusions, right? So 
the first conclusion uh, that we had is that in broad strokes, quadratic funding works. Uh, so quadratic funding was able to choose interesting projects to fund and choose projects that deserves to get funded. Uh, and it generated a lot of community engagement. Also, it, if you're going to do quadratic funding yourself, don't be discouraged if round one goes poorly. Quadratic funding gets better over time. And so it often takes at least until round three or four before people really get into the groove of uh, how to participate. Um, not just the economics, but also the social properties of a mechanism are important, right? How does the mechanism make people feel? What kind of community dynamics uh, does the mechanism create? Does the mechanism help people feel more engaged? Also, quadratic funding is not just valuable as a direct funding allocator. It's also valuable as a signal, right? If a project got $10,000 of matching on uh, Gitcoin grants, that also is a signal that shows that, hey, this is actually a project that lots of people in the community find valuable. And that information is, is useful in a lot of ways. And it helps inform the Ethereum Foundation's own funding of priorities to a certain extent. It's helped inform our opinions of just what are things that people feel are really important. So quadratic funding isn't just about kind of allocating money to projects in the here and now. It also is about um, all, all of these other things. You know, there's still uh, kind of a fairly big uh, kind of frontier to uh, explore here. There's still a lot of tweaks to the mechanism that you can make. And also the psychology and the sociology around the mechanism is something that's really worth analyzing. There's a lot of uh, very counterintuitive psychology that happens around, you know, what happens if you kind of give people money for doing particular things. And if you give people money that's comes as a, a result of a quadratic funding reward? Does that end up feeling different to getting a grant from some uh, kind of centralized organization? Uh, so there's still a lot of those kinds of issues that's also worth learning and trying to understand better as well. Uh, so we hope to see uh, quadratic funding uh, get deployed in more and a larger scale context. And I think the Ethereum ecosystem was this interesting test bed because the Ethereum community is this community that's both really interested in quadratic funding and also it is large enough that it has internal disagreements, uh, internal tribal dynamics to some extent, actual uh, kind of internal stresses that make it that create kind of real world scale challenges to uh, deploying something okay. like this. Challenges. We hope that uh, quadratic funding can be continued to be used not just in Ethereum, but also in um, other places as well. Thank you. That is fascinating. I'm wondering, and there's some questions here also from the folks watching this, but what other public goods do you think quadratic funding is a good mechanism to fund? Do you think that we can, citizens can kind of allocate, decide how to allocate part of their taxes uh, using a quadratic funding mechanism? Um, what public goods do you do you think can be funding by something like this? And what public goods do you think that maybe just cannot be funding funded by quadratic funding? So one very natural target in a kind of a more mainstream political context would be local news media. So in general, journalism and media is something that it's one of those really challenging things kind of institutionally because both the market and the government uh, ways of funding media are just terrible in different ways, right? Like the market 
just people just pay money approach is terrible because, you know, it is a public good. It is going to get underfunded and it creates these like really terrible incentives to optimize for clicks and all these other things. And I mean, media being government funded is obviously terrible for the reasons that are kind of fairly obvious as well. And so quadratic funding allows you to potentially fund journalism in ways that both get around the tragedy of the commons without also creating this centralized authority that has basically a huge amount of power over what things people end up hearing. So that's one very natural target. Another um, target, uh, yeah, this, is, this was uh, kind of suggested to me in, in the context of a conversation I had with Palladium people a couple of days back, um, is that some European countries have uh, this concept of either a church tax or some kind of tax that has a very limited uh, uh, tax choice. So I know uh, Italy has this uh, auto per mille as uh, the the original name for it, it's like eight per thousand of uh, your income, where you have a uh, kind of this very limited amount of choice in, uh, like you can send it to either a church or some kind of secular organization. Uh, so there are these European countries that have a tradition of like basically saying there's some portion of your of your taxes where you can choose uh, kind of within balance, uh, basically who the recipient is. And so quadratic funding could potentially be an interesting alternative to those kinds of schemes. So like basically, instead of being a choice between three organizations, it could be a funding going to a quadratic matching pool. And then at that point, it's kind of a national scale thing. And so it would be, people could use it for potentially everything. Also, uh, other ecosystem, like video game ecosystems might be one uh, potential uh, kind of adopter of quadratic funding. So... It really could be pretty much everything, but I mean, the uh, well, the one things that don't really make sense, I would say, are what I call like entrepreneurial public goods. Uh, so public goods where they are public, but uh, they are good, but people don't recognize that they're that they're important immediately. Basically, the public good equivalent of venture capital, right? So, like in the startup world, you know, you have venture capital that's theoretically for identifying startups, creating private goods that are not highly valued now, but will be highly valued 10 years from now. And quadratic funding by itself is not like it, it doesn't really reward predictive power in the way that venture capital does. And so it's not going to be good at identifying things that people are going to consider to be really valuable in 2040. And so mm-hmm. the question of like how to actually provide those kinds of things is something that we still don't really have good mechanisms for. You know, could you combine quadratic funding and prediction markets? Would you have to do something else? Still a lot of open area to explore. Yeah, that's fascinating. In my experience with supporting and sustaining open source ecosystems, one of the the things that I've seen with crowdfunding sustainability of open source projects is can turn into a little bit of a popularity contest, right? And so a lot of like core plumbing infrastructure that's boring and it's not as appealing normally gets left on the side or has less crowdfunding than the most hot, popular, latest whatever framework. So I think that I am particularly interested in not only the, the negative voting, but also if you are thinking about how to compensate for mm. projects that are core or base, but are maybe less popular because they are less, yeah, like... Sure. Popular yeah, no, I think that's uh, kind of a very good point as well. And I think there's two uh, answers to this. One answer is within quadratic funding, right? 
in a private goods economy, when you have a lot of different tasks that have to be bundled together and you don't want people to pay for the tasks individually, generally what people do is they form a company, right? And customers pay money to the company and the company hires employees and the company has some kind of an internal governance to basically figure out what are the things that need to be done and like how much to compensate people for it. And so this idea that you can have companies that people can form their own units that consisting of multiple people and that it's these packages that participate in, in the wider mechanism and so you bundle together things that would not get uh, compensated by themselves, I think is something that can be moved into a uh, kind of quadratic funding context as well, right? And it already has been. Uh, so for example, in the Gitcoin rounds, one of the recipients that you saw even in round three was these Ethereum client developer teams. So there was a Prismatic and White House and a couple of others. And those are companies, right? Those are collections of people. You know, they have developers, they hire janitors, um, they, you know, hire people who do all sorts of things, right? So if you uh, abstract things out and say, uh, like basically bundle together the kind of unsexy but necessary things with uh, kind of sexier things, then potentially can get around it within quadratic funding. So that's one answer. Another answer is that you can say that, you know, quadratic funding is definitely not a master mechanism that's uh, going to solve every problem. And in general, you know, any mechanism for funding public good is going to leave a lot of things uh, underfunded or unfunded. And, you know, you have quadratic funding and then we have uh, technocratic funding by the Ethereum Foundation. And then we have a whole bunch of different individual uh, contributions. And then you have people just working for free and getting recognition by the community for it. So you do have a lot of these different mechanisms that can partially fund public goods, but that do each individually kind of leave a lot of holes. And so the idea is that maybe we don't want to have one mechanism that handles everything. Maybe we do just want to have these kind of overlapping uh, tech mechanisms that have different strengths and weaknesses so they can compensate for each other. Yeah. Um, I just I want to make sure I touch upon this because there's a couple of questions on this area and also I'm interested particularly on this. Um, quadratic funding is sitting at kind of the intersection of voting and markets, right? Um, or it's like a combination, if you want, of both. And it places like most of the power on individual community signaling, right? A lot of people signaling support for a project gets more funding than, you know, just someone putting more money on a project. So at the same time, this mechanism, well, it corrects for a lot of the problems that we have in funding our commons. It also puts a prime on humanity fraud, right, which is something that I think you touched upon. So voting obviously requires proof of identity that is very easily solved in centralized communities or, or, or centralization models. How important is for you um, proof of humanity for funding public goods in decentralized communities? What's, what have you been seeing in the space that is interesting? What's your, your vision for how should we be mm -hmm. thinking about formalizing humans, essentially? Yeah, no, a very good question. And I think we definitely have had uh, kind of attempts at uh, creating decentralized unique human systems. Uh, so Bright Idea is one of the projects that's doing this in the Ethereum ecosystem. There's uh, a few others as well. There's Pope, the uh, proof of attendance protocol. So we do have uh, of people that are trying to solve this problem that are taking a few different approaches. And then obviously right now, Gitcoin Grants is taking this kind of relatively centralized route. 
My general instinct is still that the identity part of quadratic funding is still is, is a reason why I expect quadratic funding to, at least in the short and medium term, continue to work better in smaller communities than as uh, some kind of global thing. Like Basically, the more global you go, the more... Uh, the easier identity fraud potentially becomes and the harder it is to police. And like, if you go, go into like extremely big scales, like uh, there does come a, a point at which uh, it does just start becoming really hard to police, right? Like even government issued identities are something that is definitely something that can, like people can defraud, people can sell, um, you know, you definitely can just go up to poor people and say, I'll give you $1,000 if you just give me your passport and pretend I stole it from you. And if you start creating a monetary incentive on doing all of those things, then you know this sort of stuff will happen. Um, so my general instinct is basically that it's good that it's being tried in smaller ecosystems where it's, it is easier to police for these kinds of issues. And we'll just keep scaling up and we'll just keep dealing with the issues as they come over time. I have to say, Vitalik, that it's very inspiring to see how the community is protecting itself here in the sense that always when you try to, when you innovate, when you propose new governance mechanisms or systems, like everyone expects the new thing to completely replace whatever was there and to work well. And that's so unfair on innovation because it can stifle innovation, right? Because it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to replace everything. And and we need to learn through experience. So I think, yeah, that's a very inspiring approach that I think you are taking. On that note, I think our time is up. We are, uh, yeah. Um, so thank you for uh, your presentation. And yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you.